0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, September 8th, and we're going to run through Roku's S1. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on? Not too much. A little tired, but I think I'll make it. Up late looking through the S1 from Roku? (laughs) Yeah. some nice lifetime uh, reading. <laughs> um, I-, I love doing S1 shows. I love looking through uh, soon to be public company prospectuses because uh, very often it's kind of a first glance at this company. You know, I think it can be very easy to be swayed by what other people are saying about a business once it's been public for a while. But I think uh, looking at a prospectus, it's kind of your opportunity to create your own opinion of a company before a lot of media and a lot of coverage is out there.
1: Yeah, it's always interesting to get a first look at some deep, really deep, detailed financial information about these companies that a lot of the times you're familiar with. You've heard about them for so
0: long, but they've been private. And I think there's just, there's just so much interesting stuff in there. I don't want to say it's like opening presents on Christmas morning because I think that's a bit of a stretch, but that is the feeling <laughs> for me. It is—it is nice to kind of discover all these things. Where I'm like, oh, like I, you know, I was wondering, uh, you know, how much of their streaming hours are coming from Netflix or something like that. You get all these little tidbits that, uh, for a while, have been private. So, uh, it is really fun to do these shows. I love—I love doing them. Um, why don't we just start out by explaining exactly what Roku is? Sure, sure. I mean,
1: everyone knows. Uh, they're synonymous with these, you know, little small streaming media players, either set-top boxes or streaming sticks. And they have a, you know, a wide range of different products in their lineup, like you know, five, five or six different uh, types of devices that offer different levels of functionality and features for different price points. Uh, I think the prices are like twenty-five to hundred dollars. They also have integrations with some smart TVs that are made by third-party TV manufacturers. Uh, those TVs start at like, you know, 130, but those are not Roku products themselves. That's more of just Roku integrating their platform into the TV, and they actually earn a little bit of money in terms of licensing fees from the TV manufacturer. Um, and then on the other side of that, they have the platform that they operate for all the TV content, and they have about
0: 5,000 channels, I believe. Yeah, it's something like that. And this company, basically, you know, we talk about all the different things they do. They're They're looking to kind of centralize. Uh, what has become this very segmented uh, online streaming uh, kind of cable substitute uh, space, right? I mean, they they integrate, you know, stuff like Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, YouTube, uh, some traditional cable providers. They're trying to create this kind of central dash, this hub for people to consume all these disparate content sources.
1: Right, and on the platform side, so they get a cut of revenue from subscriptions they sell or content they sell through other people's apps. Uh, they get a 20% cut. They also offer a lot of ad-supported channels, which, um, in those cases, what they do, they they uh, they share the ad inventory, so they can ask the channel to give them up to 30% of their video ad inventory. Uh, for smaller channels, they don't really get much of an audience. They don't really do this because it's kind of pointless. But for larger channels, that's how they that's how they work for for sharing the ad revenues. They basically get to some of the inventory and then they
0: sell ads for themselves. So, you can really think about this as a company that has their kind of traditional hardware, their devices, which is what they call their player revenue. And then they also have this platform business, um, and they call it their platform revenue. And um, to kind of look at how that breaks down for their top line, if you look at the first half of 2017, player revenue was roughly 59% of revenue total. uh, And then the platform revenue made up the remaining 41%. I think when you look at that revenue mix, there are a couple of things that you want to keep in mind. Uh, one of them being that the device revenue, player revenue, was actually down 2% year over year uh, for the first half of the year. And I saw that management seemed to attribute that to something with the product mix shifting a little bit. So moving kind of towards some of their cheaper, uh, lower end devices. But I generally don't think that that's a good sign.
1: Right. So they, they've, they're very clear that their strategy is to lower, you know, pretty much price very aggressively. Um, which naturally hurts average selling prices, hurts gross margin. But the point that they're trying to get across is that they want to grow their number of active accounts, which is currently at about 15 million, and they are making progress. I mean, active accounts are definitely up quite a bit over the past couple of years. But so on the hardware side, it's 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 kind of like that old time-tested razor and blade model where they're trying to sell the upfront hardware very cheaply in order to make ongoing revenue later on, either
0: through um, you know, recurring revenue or just getting a cut of the platform sales. And I wonder if, in some ways, it's kind of a response to what's out there in the market right now. Because you look at what uh, Google's Chromecast costs, and it's a fairly low-end device. It's it's pretty similar to the Roku in a lot of ways, where it's you know just a little dongle that you can plug in and kind of get going. It doesn't have that same uh, hub element to things where you have all these integrated apps. But you can take what is on your laptop and immediately throw it onto your TV, and I think it costs somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty or forty bucks. And when that's out there, uh, you know, there's obviously higher price point products in the market as well. But when there's something low price like that, you kind of have to respond to it and make sure that you have something, uh, you know, kind of in that level of the market.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like you mentioned, Chromecast is, is a really good example, and then Amazon, you know, followed responded to chromecast with fire tv stick which is like 35 dollars and generally gets pretty good reviews i think fire tv stick is one of the best selling uh you know little kind of low-end streaming sticks where you just plug it straight into an hdmi port and then you have all your content and
0: it's pretty you know pretty nice and easy Probably doesn't hurt that they have the distribution network of Amazon to uh, to help them out on the uh, on the best selling side. Um, looking over at the two different businesses that they have too, I think it's worth noting that the margin profiles for Roku's uh, main revenue sources are totally different. Um, not a huge surprise given that the nature of uh, the device world is very different than the platform world. But the platform revenue has gross margins of over seventy five percent. And the device business has like twelve percent margins, so that is something that you want to keep in mind as you see the revenue mix start to shift. They are clearly emphasizing um, what you'd consider kind of more platform and services revenue, uh, and that should grow in the coming years. And and you want to see that because that probably means that their overall gross margin should expand.
1: Right, and that's that's really the whole play here. I think you know from an investing standpoint, that's that's going to be part of the story, is how well are they able to really shift this business to to focus more on the platform side and actually grow that business, and they, they are having some encouraging signs in terms of hour stream, active usage, uh, average revenue per user, which is based on their um, platform side. So they, They're definitely making a lot of progress, but that's really I think going to be the key thing
0: to, for investors that want to actually invest in this company. The, the number one thing to watch. And I mentioned that player revenue was down 2% year-over-year year for the first <laughs> half of 2017. Um, that was, you know, largely compensated for by the fact that the platform business is doing very well, um, and and all in all, revenue was 199 million for the first half of the year, which was up 23 percent year over year. So in spite of some of the issues on the device side, they are clearly growing the business. Um, they did post a net loss of 21 million. Uh, they are not profitable, although I believe the gap is narrowing there. Um, did anything really pop out to you on the financial side other than that stuff, Evan?
1: Not really. Um, I mean, looking at the different margin profiles for the different businesses was pretty interesting. But as far as the rest of the income statement, really kind of standard stuff here. Uh, you know, it's, it's very common for these companies to be losing money. They've had one profitable quarter in the past two years, and they're investing very heavily in uh, research and development, which you know really drives up your operating expenses. But none of this is really too surprising. So I, 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 I I'm kind of in this. You know, it's pretty much what you would expect to see from a company going public.
0: And on a quarter-to-quarter basis, not a huge surprise. But as a device company, um, they are typically very heavily weighted towards the calendar Q4. And so, I think roughly about forty percent of their business is done in that period because you have you know people buying devices as gifts, um, and very often their you know release calendar will sync up to that to kind of ramp into the holiday season. So, as you're looking at their results as they go public, uh, you know, obviously something to keep in mind. Um, beyond those standard financials, the company also includes a bunch of other key performance metrics in its S one. Uh, we hinted at active accounts before. I think it might be good to just kind of check in on the overall growth trajectory of it. Evan, you said uh, the platform had fifteen point one million active accounts. Um, what's going on there in terms of general trajectory?
1: Uh, that, that's up quite nicely. I mean, um, a couple of years ago, um, they had they were only at about five or six million. Um, so I mean, they, they have grown this this user base quite a bit over the past couple of years so I mean there's definitely a lot of progress I mean at the beginning of 2014 they had four point four million active accounts and now they're at fifteen point one so over the course of you know two and a half years they've tripled that user base and I mean I, you know they, they don't one thing that is weird is they don't disclose their unit sales so it's kind of hard to like you know gauge the hardware side player business in that sense
0: but if you look at the you know the install base it's definitely growing. And they also don't include average selling price as a metric in the in the S one at least. Uh, maybe they will down the road, but that would be a way to kind of back into unit sales, right? So so we are kind of forced to use active accounts as a proxy for what is going on there,
1: right? But I, but I mean, I think yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that would be very useful for investors is kind of like knowing the engagement of active accounts versus device sales, because if you're selling a bunch of these things and no one's using them, that's obviously would not be a good sign. And investors don't, or at this point, investors don't have a good way to tell if some of these devices are, you know, being, you know, collecting dust, not being used, not being upgraded, because that directly feeds into how this installed base is going to grow over time. I mean, they 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 very rarely have shared unit sales historically in the past, but there's nothing, there's no real current official data point, which is a little, little disconcerting, if, you know, for for investors at least, I think.
0: If if you're trying to get to something like that, I think another thing you can look at is at least hours streamed. Um, This is another proxy that the company uses for engagement. And Last quarter, it came in at 3.5 billion hours, and that was up just under 60% year-over-year and 6% sequentially. Um, Generally, this metric has trended up into the right, kind of everything that you want to see on the engagement side. Um, I think that there's this idea that the people that have Roku devices tend to really love them. Um, the, the issue for me is just whether they can convince enough people in the market to continue buying them.
1: Uh, yeah, and I was looking at these numbers a little bit closer just now, actually, also. So, if you divide out hours streamed divided by active accounts and just kind of get to how many hours are streaming per account on a quarterly basis to, as a way, another proxy for engagement, uh, they, they are also having some really good numbers here, too. So, for example, Q1 2014 it was 159 hours per active account per quarter, and now that's all the way up to 232. If you divide it out on a daily basis, people right now, people are spending about two and a half hours a day on this platform on average for the active account, so that you know, up from about 1.8 hours per day back in early
0: 2014. So again, they're definitely making some really nice progress on the engagement front. I think one thing, um, you know, it's great to see those numbers moving in the right direction. One thing to be kind of wary of is, it looks like a lot of the hours streaming are coming from one or two sources. Um, you know, they talk about how they have thousands of channels available for people to consume content on. Uh, one of the risks for me is that they are heavily concentrated amongst a, a very small group of channels.
1: Exactly. So in the filing, they did note that the top five channels, and remember, this is out of five thousand channels, <laughs> the top five of them account for about seventy percent of all hours streamed. So that's very heavily concentrated. In just a- a very small number of channels and you know, the number one being Netflix, uh, I'm, I would assume that YouTube is up there too. And very specific, they get very little revenue from, they, they disclose that they do not receive any material revenue from Netflix. They receive no revenue whatsoever from YouTube. And you know, so if the top channel, if the most heavily used channels on the platform, you're not really monetizing very well, that's not a good sign as far as the business goes, even if the engagement side is strong. And you know, and so so you're splitting up the remaining thirty percent of usage across five thousand channels, which kind of calls the question the value of all those other channels. And the, earlier you, you made a good analogy here to the, the kind of the
0: cable model where there's tons of cable channels that people hardly ever watch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of the problem with the cable model, right? Is like you have all these people that are paying for and subsidizing channels that they aren't using. Uh, at least with the a la carte option, uh, you can kind of pick and choose, but you know, it comes back to the, the overall value offering on the platform. And and one of the things that I worry about too is, you know, for them to be so reliant and, and for people to basically be using Roku's as kind of these uh, I think you said it in an article, like these glorified Netflix streaming devices. <laughs> um, it, it puts them at a little bit of risk in case Netflix decides to do something on their own down the road. Exactly. Like,
1: if the vast majority of use is just concentrated on apps and services that people can get from anywhere that are completely ubiquitous, and there are a million devices that you can access, and then Roku is just another one of many devices that you're just using to watch Netflix or YouTube, then that then Roku isn't really bringing a whole lot to the table. And I mean, they're trying this a la carte you know, option. But in the cable world, like we were just talking about, I mean, a la carte channels have never the economics of a la carte channels in cable TV do not work because there's so few people for a lot of these many channels are very niche and people aren't gonna opt in to pay for it which is why they're all bundled together which you know as you mentioned before it, it, these smaller niche channels are effect, are effectively subsidized by the popular channels by being bundled in all together. and then the economics scale better and you can make it all work which is why you know we've been people have been talking about Get, trying to buy a la carte cable channels for for years and years and years but the economics have never worked out you know outside of like a couple of big prominent successful you know like hbo obviously is you know, a standalone subscription add-on but you know for for just basic cable channels like it just doesn't work and that's essentially what roku is hoping they can make work which i don't know if they can
0: well, and they're not alone in that, right? There are a lot of big tech companies that have their hand in the pot right now, and and I think that's another thing that worries me a little bit about this business. Um, you think about all the other players in this space. You know, Apple has TV ambitions. Amazon has the Fire TV. Um, Google has Chromecast. There's a lot going on there. Roku has positioned itself as this kind of platform neutral provider, right? They are just going to be the vehicle to get people. Viewing content, they're not going to, you know, kind of have their own stake in the content world, and that's great so long as that dynamic holds. But if, um, you know, if if, look at what happened with Disney and Netflix, right? You know, Disney decided we're going to go off and do our own thing, and and Netflix lost them. Um, If any of those content providers decide, you know, we're not going to let you do this anymore, um, that's a risk one. And then on the other side, it's like you know you have these deep-pocketed competitors. Where the TV ambitions are such a small part of their business, they can heavily invest and kind of out R and D you, and um, you know make it up. You know, they can they can sell stuff at very low prices, and it really doesn't matter all that much to them.
1: Exactly, and I think it's important that that all the bigger companies that you're referring to, like Apple's, Amazon's, Google's, they're all also competing on both sides of this business. They're they're offering hardware as well as a platform. You know, Apple has Apple TV. We've already talked about the Fire TV stuff and they're all you know so they they they're going to be facing competition from these bigger companies on both fronts of the business it's not just like one or the other you know so i i do think that there is a lot of risk there
0: and i was talking to austin morgan our producer before the show and i said uh, you know like what do you do uh, for streaming purposes and he said you know like i have a smart tv that i've had since college and i have my video game consoles and those are perfectly good me too devices and and that gets the job done and so when you think about a company that specializes in something that is essentially getting people content, and there are all these other delivery mechanisms for that, uh, it worries me a little bit. Um, it feels a lot like some of the other dedicated hardware devices that we've seen out in the market that haven't done particularly well. You know, I think of Fitbit, and I think of GoPro.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then that's going to be the challenge, is how can they differentiate if their devices are really just being used to stream Netflix, which accounts for a third of all usage on the platform, and they get very little money for it. And and can, and you know specifically just in terms of the hardware, with all these bigger companies competing on the hardware front, can Roku keep up? Just in strictly in terms of a hardware product, I mean, a lot of these companies are building in voice assistants, better search capabilities, et cetera. And, and so even in terms of hardware development, Roku's going to be you know facing an uphill battle. And that says nothing even on the platform side. So there there are definitely lots of you know challenges going forward. I think.
0: So, it sounds like you and I both kind of agree that this is not a long term business that we're particularly excited about. Um, Something to kind of add to this is we obviously don't know what valuation is going to be yet. We're not sure what the issuance will price at. Uh, We're not sure exactly when it will begin trading either. Um, This is more of just kind of an exploratory show because the news dropped uh, and we were able to get our hands on this. Um, Are there any other big things that you want to hit, Evan, before I let you go?
1: No, I think, I think you got it there. I mean, I'm not really a huge fan. I I think that they're posting some very nice improvement and some progress on some of these really key metrics, but kind of looking further out, I don't really see a a long-term kind of advantage, just, you know, sustainable differentiation between what they're trying to do. Because like you mentioned, like this, this market for streaming devices is so overcrowded. Gaming consoles, smart TVs, like these things can also play all of the big services themselves through different apps. In on the platform side, it's like, can they really? Can their platform really? Is there really value in their platform for content that is primarily accessible on Roku? And I don't think the answer is yes. So I, I, I do like some of the numbers they're putting up, but
0: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on the sidelines on this one. In the interest of full disclosure, I have to ask, how do you stream stuff at home? Do you have a device for that?
1: I have um, an Apple TV. T- I have two Apple TVs, and I have a, a gaming console. Um, I don't have a Roku, so I mean, obviously, my house is full of Apple stuff. <laughs> so, so we have the Apple TV, but yeah, and, and clearly, you can stream on. You know, it's already built in my TV. I play. I can stream through my gaming console. I can stream through my phones, tablets, laptops. Like I can stream from anywhere already. So there's no real
0: purpose for at least for me to go buy uh, another. Device <laughs> and Austin, what about you? Uh, you know, you you mentioned that you have the smart TV and the gaming console. What do you wind up using more? Um, so I'll use the gaming console when I'm on the TV. And that which, has the gaming console? Which but gaming <coughs> console is that? PS4. Okay. Um, but the other TVs are smart TVs, and I just stream through that until until one of these companies can give me live sports. I'm not buying. There you go. Uh, in the interest of disclosure, I am a loyal Chromecast user. Uh, I will say that consumer goods host, Vincent Shen, is a Roku owner and absolutely loves it, so I'm sure he will be doing some coverage on the company down the road as well, because this is kind of one of those flex companies that seems to fall between tech and consumer goods. Um, guys, anything else before I sign off? No, I think we're good. Cool. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have feedback or questions for us, just shoot us an email over at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com podcasts. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks to mention, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Big ups to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on.